And for those who remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 as we continue this series and this book, which is a, a sermon written down and distributed to God's people, and that we might know the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll be looking at the first four verses. This is God's Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is God's Word. Let's pray that He would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks that You have not left us alone in this world to figure things out on our own, but You have given Your Word throughout the ages, and now most fully through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear this word, O Lord, hearts to believe it, feet to walk in its way, that we might not be those who neglect it or who fail to pay attention to what we have heard, but that we might be those who hear and receive and rejoice in the word of the gospel given to us in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So have you ever gotten to the point of quitting something? Um, you know, sometimes it's right away. Like you, you signed up for something and you walk in and you realize this is not what I signed up for. I'm out. You know, I, I thought that this was going to be a class on lasers where lasers were like sh- shining around, not, not, not just lectures about lasers. So you're done. But usually... When we commit to something, getting to that point of quitting, it's this gradual descent, right? Like, I, when I pick up a book, I want to finish the book. And sometimes you pick up a book and every chapter is just closed with this refrain. It will, it's going to get better. It's going to start making sense. It's, it's going to be worth it. And I've finished more than my fair share of books that weren't worth it. And, and I've gotten a little bit better about quitting those books, but it, it's slow to dawn on me. Or maybe you joined a club and you thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to meet people. We're going to do these things. We're going to enjoy this hobby together. And you just find yourself at this place where it's just not bringing joy and you don't know how to just quit or a class. And that drop ad deadline is is just imposing upon you, but you just don't know, is this the right thing to do? Should I quit? Should I stick with it? You joined a sports league. Who knows? Like sometimes this, this quitting doesn't come quickly. It's this slow and a gradual descent to a decision. This isn't worth it anymore. And it's not just with books or clubs. Sometimes we get there with serious things too. Relationships. Jobs, even church, even our faith. 
One pastor observed that most people who leave Christianity don't wake up one morning and just decide that it's false. They arrived at that state by a slow drifting away further and further until they find themselves at a distant place. This is how quitting often comes. In this slow place where suddenly you realize over a long course of time you've gotten to a distant land. And so Hebrews, being a sermon that was written down, doesn't just teach. It has in these pages six very stark warnings against drifting away from the faith, against finding ourselves in that distant land. And these warnings aren't given to unbelievers. They are given to believers, to those who are ready to hear God's word as a way to to confront us with the harsh reality that Christianity in the real world is beset with obstacles and dangers that can afflict and oppress even those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not here in the church out of danger. And so we have this warning that calls us to avoid making a shipwreck of our faith, to avoid drifting away from the sure hope of the gospel that we've heard. So what are we to learn from this warning? We're going to consider it in three parts. This warning warns us against the danger of spiritual drift. It warns us about the result of such spiritual drift. But it gives us also the cure for that spiritual drift. We're going to consider those three things. The danger of spiritual drift, the result of it, and its cure. And so the first thing I want us to consider then is, is how much danger spiritual drift entails. You see it here in this first verse. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. But how do you know if you're drifting? My dad, at various times in his life, decided it was a good idea to get a fishing boat. And so from time to time, we would go out on the marshes of Beaufort, South Carolina, and we'd fish. And the the tidal forces there were such that if you wanted to stay in one spot, you'd have to throw out an anchor. Um, But we never managed to buy the right anchor. It was always the, the cheap one or the one on sale. And so we'd throw it out, and maybe it would catch. Maybe it would sink down in the pluff mud. And we'd fish for a while, but inevitably it would pull up and we would be fishing and fishing and just look up one minute and realize we were way, way down away from where we were supposed to be. Or we'd look up and we're getting ready to run into an oyster bed. Like we just didn't feel it until it was almost too late. That's the thing about drifting. It can be slow. It can be subtle imperceptible even, until it's too late. And what the author of Hebrews warns us about is the one thing that you do to encourage drifting in your spiritual life. Can you imagine what it would be? I mean, maybe you have the wrong anchor. Maybe you've 
bought into the, the low-priced version. Maybe you just aren't good at getting your ship in the right place at the right time. But the, the sad truth of the matter is the thing that we do that most often causes us to drift is nothing. You see it right here. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The, the one thing that you can, can do to ensure that you will drift spiritually is nothing. To pay little attention to your spiritual life. To consider Christ on occasion. To take stock of where you are every once in a while. To neglect the things that God has given you. This is why the author tells us, pay much closer attention. Because the the danger of spiritual drift isn't that you're drifting from some moral way of living. The danger of spiritual drift isn't that you're drifting from, from deeper theological knowledge. The danger of spiritual drift isn't that you're, you're drifting from, from the comfort and peace that, that, that God can bestow upon His people. The, the danger of spiritual drift is that you are drifting from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You are going farther and farther and farther away from your Lord and your Savior and the place where all hope and peace and joy and truth is found. And so the call isn't simply to pay much closer attention to how you're living, to pay much closer attention to how you're feeling, or to pay much closer attention to the things that you know. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What is it that we have heard? Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God incarnate, the Savior of sinners, And he has cleared the way for us to be made right with God. He has cleared the way. And yet, if spiritual drift was something that church members didn't have to worry about, we wouldn't have it here in this sermon to those first century church members. So where are you? in danger of spiritual drift? How have you experienced it in your own life? Maybe even now. Sometimes we find ourselves drifting spiritually just because we're so busy. There's so many things to do, so many responsibilities that we have. Getting the kids to school, volunteering to build a playground at the church. Pastor's always calling about something. We've got small groups to go to. We've got groceries to buy. We've got a job somewhere that we've got to fit in. There are all sorts of things, and we find ourselves so busy doing. that We wake up one day and find that, really, that's all that matters to us. Or we get in these habits and routines where we start to neglect the things that God has given us 
wake up and we want to know, did Congress do Congress things and actually pass a budget? Some of your jobs depend on it. And so we wake up in the morning and we start reading the news. And oh no, I'm late. I got to grab coffee. We're off. We're in the office. And we neglect prayer. And we set the word aside. Or there's always somebody emailing us and we don't know how to use Do Not Disturb on our phone. And there's always something that we've got to reply to. Always some crisis. Always some new responsibility. And we just get into the routine of responding to the most urgent message or the loudest call. And we neglect the mundane yet important things that God has given us. Or maybe we just get bored with it all. And there's college football, y'all. There's a playground. There's swings. There are all sorts of things in this world that you can occupy yourself with that are a blast, that are of immense fun and pleasure. And it takes the sting out of this miserable existence. And we start to believe the message they give us that we don't really need anything else except to let the next episode play. And we drift. How are you in danger of spiritual drift? It happens so easily, so subtly. We need to take stock because the result of spiritual drift is significant. I mean, if you're drifting, do you even really have a destination? You ever been in the car driving? Maybe you're going home from work, but you were supposed to stop off at the store and pick up milk or eggs or bread or whatever, and you forgot because you just got in autopilot mode and you, you woke up in the driveway and you're like, how did I get here? You know, you know this feeling, right? Maybe. I'm not saying, I'm not, it's not a good feeling. We shouldn't take stock in it, but, but you're like, I was going home. So what if I forgot to go by the store? Have you ever fallen asleep driving? It's a scary thing. You hit those strips on the side of the interstate and realize I could have been in the other lane. I could have been in the woods. I could have been wrapped around a tree. Like it's one thing to be on autopilot. It's something else to be asleep and drift. The end result of that is very likely destruction. And so the sort of drifting that the author is calling our attention to here in this passage isn't autopilot where you get to the same place you wanted to go to if a little bit less conveniently. It's you end up dead. You end up in destruction and desolation. You see it here in verse 2. The, the message declared by angels, this is talking about the whole Old Testament, the, the word delivered from God to the prophets that was just commonly spoken of as, as being mediated by angels, as being delivered by angels. That message delivered by angels, the, the word of God in the Old Testament, it proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, whether in this life or in the next. 
The wages of sin is death. The people of Israel disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed, and they went into exile, as God promised centuries ago would be the result. God's word stands, and at every point, the promises he's made have held true. If that is true throughout the history of God's people, throughout the Old Testament, if when the Lord God himself shows up and declares his word, why would we treat it with less weight? Why would we treat it as if it's less reliable or less important? Why would we give it less attention? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You can, you can think about it this way. Like, and it's a ridiculous example, but go with me. How do you avoid going to jail for tax evasion? I mean, there are maybe complicated ways. Maybe you can, you know, find a neutral country without extradition treaties to live in for the rest of your life. But they might still get you eventually. Like, like the best, the sure way to avoid going to jail for tax evasion is to pay your taxes. It's not complicated. How shall we be saved from the wages of sin? How shall we be saved from death? How shall we be saved from the wrath of God that goes against all unrighteousness and wickedness of this age? How? Believing the word of God declared in Christ that he is the savior of sinners. And if you neglect that, there is no salvation left. There is no other way. And so the author here calls us not to neglect something so glorious and so precious that Jesus himself delivered to us. We know this principle innately. The things that are precious to us, we know it's wrong to neglect them. We know it's dangerous to neglect them. The people who neglect their children, those blessings from God, we we have accountability for them. We judge them rightly as a society, as those who have taken what is precious and glorious and have cast it aside as of no account. We ought to invest in our children, raise them up and care for them and shower them with love and affection and train them up and teach them up. We don't neglect them. How much more then, the salvation that we have in Christ, should we take hold of firmly and hold to, no matter what may come, never neglecting it, never treating it as irrelevant or of mediocre good to us. And yet this warning is here because sometimes we forget that the result of spiritual drift is eternal damnation. We like to soft-pedal it or put it off and say, I will get around to it, or it's not that big a deal, or I go to church, or I have a Bible. 
These people went to church. They're listening to the sermon. And it didn't keep the speaker from giving them the same warning. What will happen to you if you neglect this salvation? That's the thing about drifting. You're always drifting to something. There's always some force behind that drift. Maybe your alignment's off and the car is drifting. Maybe there's a waterfall and that's the reason the current is taking you out. Or maybe it's just the ocean tides and before you know it, you're going to be out in the middle of the vast Atlantic and nobody's going to know how to get you back home. There is something behind these forces that cause us to drift. These things that are attractive to us, these things that we pay more attention to than the Lord of glory. The scriptures call them idols. And they warn us that behind those idols, those things that we love, those things that we put in the place of Jesus that they don't deserve to have, that behind those idols, we're serving demonic forces. And not just money, not just false gods, not just power. There is something evil on the other side that desires your end, that desires your destruction. But God has sent his son. Don't neglect the way of salvation. Don't turn a deaf ear to the good news. There is a cure for spiritual drift. And we need to get this right because the stakes are high. We can't Trust ourselves to some cure that we bought off of Amazon, hoping that it's, it's not just some counterfeit knockoff. We need to know what is the real, right, good, and true cure for the spiritual drift that we endure. When I was in college, I interned with my old youth pastor uh, for a summer, and I, he assigned me to work with uh, the middle schoolers, which was awesome and helped solidify my call to do college ministry. <laughs> we love you, middle schoolers. We do. Uh, but I, we went on a whitewater rafting trip on the Nantahala, and I got assigned to the two, you know, rambunctious middle school boys, uh, and we rafted the Nantahala, which is like not a complicated whitewater rafting trip. You almost could do it in your sleep, as long as you end before it gets really bad. Uh, well, in that trip, they managed to steer us under, uh, under a tree that was low enough that it just knocked me out of the raft and I had to run and, and like run down the shoreline and swim back to the boat. And then there was this point where the current is taking us to these two big rocks where water is just gushing through. And it was scary and it's coming down and the, there's not enough room to, for the raft to get through. And I'm like, the way we're supposed to go is the obvious way around them. And, they're, and so I start paddling us that way. And they say, no. And they start paddling right for it. Well, guess what? That's where we went. 
And the raft turns sideways, hits the rocks, almost flips me out, and we had to get other people to rescue us. We were stuck. Here's the thing about spiritual drift. The way you get out of it is is you paddle in a different direction. But which direction matters? You can paddle straight for the very thing that's going to destroy you. The author of the book of Hebrews sets up for us something greater. He tells us the, the cure for spiritual drift is to stop listening to those demonic forces that promise all the happiness and peace that your heart can desire. To stop listening to those moralistic voices that say, well, if you just do things the right way, everything will turn out right for you. To stop listening to all those things that draw you away from Jesus. Look to him and listen to him. He is the great prophet promised of old, who is the very word of God. And everything that he declares it's true and unshakable and he declares it to us and for us let's pay much closer attention to him to what he has declared because he has declared for us salvation you see this in verse 3 and 4 how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that salvation was declared first to us by the Lord himself God didn't send angels this time with his word. He didn't send prophets. He came himself, took on flesh, took on the form of a man, and became a servant. And, he de- and what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? But walk around for, for years declaring the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Listen to me. The Son can set you free. And those who heard the Lord directly, they attested to the truth of what Jesus said, that destroy this temple, and in three days... He can build it back. And they realized later that Jesus was not talking about the the Jewish temple made by the hands of men, but he was talking about his own body. And they went forth, filled with the Holy Spirit, attesting to the truth of all that Jesus said and did, that he died, but was raised again on the third day, victorious over death. And as the, the eternal Son of God, when we draw near to him, we too find victory over death and hell and sin because he offers us eternal life. And it wasn't just those disciples who first heard the Lord. The recipients of this letter, they heard second, third hand even. The glory of who Jesus is. The word went forth and it didn't stop. It kept growing and growing. And more people heard and more people believed. And all the while, God himself also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. This is what God does. We have a tendency to get caught up on on the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And they're incredible 
Make, make no mistake. They're miraculous. And we should stand in awe of them for what they are. But what this text and so many others show us is that those signs, they point to something. Those wonders, those miracles, they attest to something. We're not to be captivated just by the signs and the wonders and the miracles so that we get more of those. They point us to the source of that wonder, to the source of that power, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that we might be captivated by him and him alone. And so God is attesting Not to signs for signs sake, not to miracles for miracles sake, but to the wonder of the good news of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Think about what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was radiant and white and Moses and Elijah appeared. And Peter and the disciples are so amazed at what's going on that Peter, in a moment of insanity, is like, let's build houses here and live here forever. This is so wonderful. And what God does in that moment of miraculous, glorious transfiguration is he says, this is my son. Listen to him. All that glory wasn't to captivate the disciples' attention so that they just built houses and lived in the glory. It was there to direct their attention to Jesus, that they might listen to him, to the good news that he declared. And it keeps going, because it's not only that God bears witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, but also by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Those gifts that we read about in Scripture are given for the building up of His body, the church. Gifts that everyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has. Whether the gift of mercy, or of service, or of prayer, or of teaching. God has given His people these Holy Spirit-powered gifts to build up the body so that in the church, we are a testimony to the truth of who Jesus is and what he declares. But if we drift from Jesus, we become a witness and a testimony to something much darker. If we tear ourselves apart in anger and frustration and malice and slander, if we seek to to stomp on one another, to get our own way, if we neglect to care for one another, for the needy among us, to love one another with that sacrificial, selfless love of Christ, we become a witness to something terrible. But when we draw near to the Lord, we use those gifts He's given us. We become a light to the world. Jesus is the glorious prophet who declares the way of salvation, who declares victory over death, who is able to crush Satan underfoot. What might that look like for us? Just practically, just for us to live into that, to live towards Jesus, to to pay closer attention, to not neglect the word that he's given us. It's as simple as it might look like 
We spend time in it. That's the whole point of our one-on-one discipleship program. Like it's not some time to get together and read commentaries. Spend time in the Word. Pray with and for one another. It might look like listening to His Word in those most challenging areas of your life. Like, what am I supposed to do about? I mean, how would you fill in that blank? What am I supposed to do about my kids, my job, my marriage, my neighbor, my parents? What does God call you to? I'd look like taking hold of those things that he's given us and entrusting ourselves to a God whose word brings salvation. And if he can bring salvation, what more can he do in us and through us? It might look like preaching that good news to yourself. In those moments where you start to wonder, you start to doubt, how can I, how could I possibly be called a child of the living God? How could you? What have you done lately for God? How have you measured up? But the good news that Jesus declares isn't a reliance on you, but a looking to him and a clinging to him. And a drawing near to him because of who he is and what he's done. That's the good news that God has declared. Sometimes, not neglecting this great salvation, paying closer attention involves just preaching that good news to our own souls. That we might be reminded of who Jesus is. And who's your favorite musician? The Beatles? Elvis, Swifties out there. It's hard not to be a Swiftie these days. You're on the wrong side of history, I guess. Nobody has to tell you how to be a fan of your favorite musician. Like, Like, you didn't have to Google what are the rules for really liking this band. You... Nobody has to remind you when the new album is coming out. You already know because you've got the notifications set up. You've probably got all the lyrics memorized. If I asked, you could probably sing them right now if we weren't on the live stream. Nobody had to tell you that. And yet you seem to follow the same rules that every other fan of every other musician seems to follow. Because you delight in that musician. You delight in that band. You look for opportunities to go see them in concert, to to listen to them more. You've got a playlist set up. You share it. You text your family. No, really, you've got to listen to this song. It's the best. Nobody has to, to, to tell you the rules for how to get excited about it. And yet, you're tireless about it, not neglecting your fandom. And and that is what this this cure is. It's not more rules to obey the word more so you don't die an eternal death. The call here, the cure for spiritual drift, 
is to rekindle that delight in the Lord that you hang on his every word. It's this call to a passionate seeking of our majestic Savior in all the ways that he reveals himself to us. It's a call to never neglect, never grow tired, never stop beholding the majesty of Christ. Because he is the beloved Son of God, the great true prophet who has the word of salvation. Listen to him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to pay much closer attention to Christ, our true prophet. That we would not find ourselves drifting from him, but drawing near. And learning more and more, going ever deeper, seeing the glory and majesty of who he is. We might taste and see that he and he alone is all goodness. Help us to do this, Lord. We are so prone to wander. Grant us salvation even from our tendency to drift. For the glory of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.